Grace, mercy, and peace to you in the name of our risen Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning in our, our meditation, we'll be interacting with both our epistle and gospel lessons, but the place I, I think it's uh, interesting and helpful to start off with is in our epistle lesson, uh, specifically the, the first verse, uh, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Boy, this is an example of the danger of taking a verse out of context, isn't it? Uh, if there is ever uh, one verse to use to highlight why you don't want to just prove text or take one verse all by itself to uh, guide you without looking at what it means in its context, this would be it. Uh, sorry, honey, the Bible says. And just imagine all you could justify uh, with a verse like that. And then stop imagining that because you probably shouldn't be. But it's kind of a challenging idea uh, even if you look at it in context. After all, it's, there's no context or way to interpret this that says, boy, you know, marriage is just the greatest, isn't it? Uh, well, that's partly because Paul actually says that elsewhere. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, we have that famous wedding text of how uh, uh, wives should submit to their husbands, uh, husbands sacrifice their lives for their wives, uh, because marriage is an image of Christ's own love for the church, a beautiful, glorious calling. Uh, even earlier in First uh, Corinthians 7, Paul speaks to the church in Corinth with the specific issues uh, they're dealing with, encouraging them, hey, you know, marriage is a good thing, uh, and it's a benefit, uh, almost a necessity for a lot of people to uh, refuge, a uh, way of dealing with uh, avoiding a sexual temptation. But he's going deeper into the idea of marriage also and in a, a different direction, not to uh, disparage marriage, but to recognize the difficulties of marriage and the blessings of singularity. That throughout this chapter, he highlights several times, as we heard uh, one example uh, at the end of our epistle re uh, reading, uh, Paul writes, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, uh, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Just before our epistle lesson begins, he speaks of how these comments are in view of the present sufferings, the present distress, and how as a result of marriage, there's, marriage is difficult, and being in marriage results in a lot of struggle in this life. As we have the need to uh, deal with life circumstances in new ways, not just for ourselves, but also for others. And Paul says, I just want to spare you. He also is highlighting that marriage is not the only way God blesses people. Uh, that being single is not a curse. Uh, it's also a calling. Uh, one that he praises highly 
saying uh, that it's a, a way to be that much more focused on uh, the things of God. And he says, uh, points out a, a few times that this is a the calling of being single is one that some few uh, very significant people in the Bible have been uh, called to. Paul himself, for example. He says, I wish uh, you all could be as I am. I was also a single guy by the name of uh, Jesus of Nazareth, who you may have heard of. Uh, it's not a curse, it's a calling. Uh, just as much as marriage, a way to honor God and glorify God. There's also a, a, a bigger, uh, or th- that uh, this is also a pastoral call um, by Paul that's important to recognize. Uh, that throughout the chapter, he points out a couple of times that this is not, a, I don't have a command from the Lord here, but I speak as one who has the Holy Spirit as one who has uh, experience and authority, and this is my judgment, uh, that he's not prophetically laying down law here, uh, but uh, speaking pastorally in terms of uh, a pastor to his people, looking at them in their circumstances, seeing the world around and saying, what, what, is, a good, what is good for you here? What would be a blessing for you here? And this is very pastoral. Uh, though not that's not to dismiss it as oh you know that's just you know it's not prophetic it's pastoral. Uh, this isn't just bachelor talk of Paul being a bachelor saying boy it's great I wish everybody could be like me because I'm a bachelor I'm a confirmed bachelor and I think it's better. Uh, no that this is actually uh, very appropriate and pastoral as well. It connects to Jesus's own words. Uh, speaking about how unless a man hates his uh, father and mother and wife and children, he cannot be my disciple. Another difficult passage uh, for a lot of people that points out how easy it is to idolize the things that God tells us to love. That we can easily take that extra step to jumping from uh, loving uh, our spouse, loving our children, uh, loving the the good things God has given us and the callings in which he has placed us to love one another and take that an extra step to idolizing. We can see it maybe most of all when those things are taken away, when you lose your spouse or a child, or to even be facing difficulties as a spouse or as a parent. How quickly does the devil jump in and try to make you feel, my life is over? Your life isn't over. Your life doesn't come from your spouse, does it? Your life doesn't come from your children, does it? Our life comes from God. Certainly, it hurts uh, when we lose those great blessings God has given to us. And I don't want to minimize that in any way. But it's an illustration, I think, of the ease with which we can fall into idolizing uh, those blessings. 
uh, to make those relationships and those roles in life the biggest thing in life rather than the thing God has given us to do. And of course, that applies even more broadly than just in marriage or relationships as well. And Paul points that out uh, in our reading. Uh, It doesn't limit it just to uh, marriage. He goes on to say, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. Contextually, we can see that our relationship to our spouse is a great blessing, but really just another one of those things that are a blessing from God, not God itself. That in marriage, in our possessions, in our children, uh, we have blessings from God that we are called to love and honor and cherish, but not love, honor, and cherish more than God. And that's a perspective we need to constantly keep in mind uh, because the, uh, those close relationships are so close and so in front of us that they can easily become all we see. I don't know how many times I, I've heard uh, people talking about Sunday morning. Well, you know, it's so hard to get to church because Sunday morning is our family time. And family time is so important. We don't want to miss family time. Sure. But is family time more important than God time? Or spending family time with God? You can come to church as the whole family. That counts as family time too, actually. Or even, you know, really when you think about it, is is church even second in line there if it's the thing that you get rid of to make time for family time rather than something else that could also easily be removed to make room for family time instead. And I know things come up. I know that it's a busy life. I'm not trying to lay the hammer down on anybody. But like Paul, uh, to highlight uh, that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Our uh, epistle lesson uh, begins with uh, the assertion of why this is important, because the time is short. We don't have all the time in the world to do whatever we want. Uh, The time is short. Uh, The Greek word here is a very colorful uh, kind of metaphor uh, for it, that uh, the, the time is kind of scrunched up or, or wrapped up. Uh, that it's not just cut off or something like that. It's used for furling a sail, of taking something that's long and bunching it up so it's tight. Uh, we might say something similar in an uh, English idiom of uh, 
shortening something by winding it up, like wind up this sermon, pastor, uh, that uh, it's shortening it into a, a con- by con- condensation, getting it all packed together so what was far off is now right now. Uh, the time has become short, which is something Jesus also references in our, our gospel lesson. Uh, that Paul is the basis for Paul's uh, assertion that Christ's coming makes, it makes things very immediate, uh, very present. As Jesus uh, proclaimed and preached in our gospel lesson, the, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And as he walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake and says, Come, follow me. And at once they left their nets and followed him. They just left him there. Why? Well, their nets were a blessing. Their job was a blessing. But Jesus was a greater blessing. Uh, they, they fished to provide for their families, to provide for the community, because this was a calling God had given them. But calling to follow Jesus uh, became immediate and present in the person of Jesus. And they followed him. When Jesus had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. In their their job as fishermen, their relationship with their father uh, was a blessing. Jesus was the real blessing. And so they followed him. Now, Jesus doesn't come directly to tell us to to leave our families, leave our jobs, and follow him very often. But we keep the mindset that whatever we do in our vocation, uh, in our homes or in our workplace, in our families or uh, amongst our friends, is devotion to God, following Jesus uh, for him, not for ourselves or anyone else. Uh, We are to follow Jesus. And that's sometimes a a hard concept to even swallow. Following someone isn't a a, a position that's generally uh, thought of as prosperous. How many times have you been uh, stuck following behind a school bus or a dump truck and and been really excited about it? Uh, We want to set our own pace and our own direction in life, in all parts of life. Well, the thing is, we're actually faster when we follow Jesus. Uh, We're actually uh, better off following Jesus. We've all experienced that idea of being stuck behind someone slower than us and how frustrating that can be. But you know who really likes following someone else? 
oddly enough, race car drivers whose job it is to be fast. They have no other goal or purpose. They're making their living off of being fast. But when you watch a a race, whether it's a car race or a bicycle race or any other kind of race, uh, for a great deal of it, the goal is not necessarily to be in first. You want to be tucked right in behind somebody, letting them break the wind, push their way through the air resistance while you settle in that nice little vacuum behind, uh, getting pulled along. I remember back when I was a kid, I did some uh, cycling uh, with, my, with my dad and my brother, uh, long-distance cycling. And on one occasion, we actually got uh, behind a moving truck uh, that was going slowly, 20 miles an hour or something, We got right in behind that puppy, and we barely had to pedal. It was amazing. You just, the the vacuum from it just sucked you right along with it. You have to, you know, watch pretty carefully so you don't end up eating the bumper if it stops. But that's how it works. Following something bigger and stronger paves the way uh, to smoother sailing. And it's like that when we follow Jesus. And it doesn't mean we don't hit any bumps or difficulties in life. It's still a bumpy road. But with Jesus ahead of us, paving the way, leading us as we follow him, he shelters us from so much, guides and empowers us through so much. And when we swerve to the right or the left, we just get that wind in our face. And it doesn't help us. The best place to be is following Jesus. Now, as I said in our context of our gospel lesson, that was very direct and immediate. There's a guy in a robe uh, saying, follow me, and he walks off. And so you're like, well, I'll just follow him, literally. Well, that's not how Jesus calls us to follow him. So what does it mean for us to follow Jesus? The idea of following has a lot of uh, different uh, subtle meanings to it. I'd suggest that all of them in some way actually apply. One of the most common meanings now has to do with social media, uh, to follow someone Uh, means to keep up to date on what they're posting, uh, to uh, keep up to date uh, on uh, their activities and and their information. For that matter, even before social media, we follow something in the news. Uh, The same thing is true of our relationship with Jesus. To follow Jesus means to pay attention to him, keep our eyes on his word, Uh, to keep up to date and connected uh, to what he's done, is doing, and will do uh, for us as he speaks to us through his word. Uh, To follow someone uh, means to walk in their footsteps, figuratively if not literally. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, and it's one of the Kind of ideas behind following someone. 
uh, to follow Jesus uh, means to walk as he walked, uh, to do as he did, uh, to go to the cross. Uh, and through the cross, the tomb, uh, to heaven. And this is the great virtue of following uh, Christ. And in the, the biggest way, I think, highlights what it means to follow Jesus and what it means for him to lead. Because he doesn't lead in a selfish way of saying, I get to be in front, I get to set the agenda, I get to do things my way, and you've got to deal with it. And Jesus leads as a, a true king. In the, the old sense, before kings realized that leading the charge into battle was a good way to lose a king, uh, not to mention the war. And Jesus calls us to follow him, not in some just laid-back intellectual way of follow my teachings or something like that, although, again, that's certainly implied. But Jesus says, follow me in a full-on Mel Gibson Braveheart sort of way. He's saying, the time is fulfilled. The time is now. Repent and believe the gospel and follow me. I was thinking of going like charging down the center aisle out there to really put a point on it. Then I'd have to walk all the way back and he's got that kind of energy. Uh, But that's what Jesus does. He says, follow me. And he goes charging off to the cross. Not just uh, talking about stuff. Hey, this is what you should do. These are the rules you should follow. He goes out and he does it. He takes on sin, death, and the devil. He takes on all mankind's enemies. And he plows right through it. He breaks the power of temptation. He breaks the power of sin. He breaks the power of the devil. He breaks the power of the grave. To open the way for us to follow in right behind him. To tuck in right behind him as close as we can. To follow him to life everlasting. That's the blessing and the opportunity we have. To go charging through life with confidence and security. Not to uh, whatever may please us or whatever may uh, attract us. Uh, But pursuing right on the heels of Christ. Staying focused on him and connected to him. So that where he goes, we may also. Because we know where he goes. Through the cross, through the tomb. A A bumpy road. A difficult path but one that he has plowed through so that we can make it through as well. So that we don't have to face those things on our own because there's there's no escaping death. There's no escaping hardship. We're not going to go around it. Following Jesus, we can go through it, through all life's struggles, and to reach that blessing on the other side that Christ has prepared for us by his victory. May that peace 
is beyond all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until the day of his glorious return. Amen.